we've got choices in this to, you know, if you will, brand and use language that makes being environmental a feminine thing, right? Or like a, a women's work or whatever, right? You can also see it as very masculine. You can see it as uh, very data-driven, very um, structured, very methodical, um, really uh, kind of manly to care about like the space, right? Like to your territory and like, I want this territory to be safe and I want, and I'm gonna do everything I can to make it um, healthy, right? So like, it, for me, it's really just a matter of perspective. You're listening to Conversations on a Sustainable Life with Libby O'Loughlin and Renee Laplante. Good morning, Renee. Hey, good morning, Libby. How are you today? Very well, enjoying the summer. How are you? Also great, thank you. Yeah, this summer is uh, it's hot and bright, which is really special. We had kind of a long, long wet period here, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so today, today we're just this is fascinating topic that we have talked about uh, focusing on, which is, if you will, the gender of eco activism and mm-hmm. uh, and being environmental. Where this came from originally, this idea um, to and to discuss it, um, came up for me from when I was moderating a virtual unconference with Green Buzz, which is a local Swiss um, uh, sustainability organization. So it's where sustainability professionals can get together. Um, they're, they can become members and they participate in conferences and uh, drinks events and, and thought uh, thought events. And so I had the pleasure of being a moderator on that. And we were tackling a topic, which I love, which is about how to prioritize the organization's focus on sustainability. So where does that begin? And of course, you know, from uh, my humble opinion, it begins with data. And so we were really using the framework of the drawdown research to strike up that conversation with these participants. And um, we had a lot of really, really great conversations there. Um, So Libby, then I remember I brought it up with you and Mm. was like, you know, one of the participants brought up a really interesting point, which is, was kind of, it was really novel to me in the discussion of how to manage our, our resources and how to make change going forward. And it was this idea that being ecological is not macho. Mm. And also that in societies where men essentially control most of the resources, where it's where maybe it's business, maybe it's the power and the political system, um, maybe it's even in the household where there's a you know focus on the the male uh, member, you know oldest male member being the person who's in charge of everything. Um, this could be a if you will like a blocker to progress on um, being environmental and ecological. So I thought that would be a great thing for us to discuss and talk about like this identity of sustainability and perhaps um, how this is, yeah, affecting us in our efforts um, or maybe how we can make change in it and and so on. So what do you think? Mm. Yeah, and I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall in that room to see how people responded to that one 
because um, I feel as though this is, a, I don't know, it makes me think of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I really? Why? why? <laughs> well, I think, uh, um, oh, I'm not sure, maybe the 80s and 90s, because I think there was quite some discussion in in uh, f- feminist circles mm-hmm. during those years um, around what, what, or starting to separate the idea of masculine and feminine from emasculinized and feminized mm. and starting to, to starting to work on the the language that we're using around gender and um I think yeah. I think that's when when these sort of things started to be teased apart a little bit more and yeah I was I was maybe even a little surprised that that had come up at the conference so yeah tell me what what well, interestingly, you know, the gentleman like threw it out there and then we were all like, you're right. Oh, uh, maybe this is a thing. And then we didn't have enough time to talk about it. So, um, mm. you know, so, you know, that's okay. I think what I was coming to with that is um, kind of acknowledging it and then asking myself too, like, what does that mean? Like, what's the kind of reality of today? And I do this in my culture work also with organizations, right? We, we have to assess the culture of today in order to be real and, you know, understand what's standing in our way, basically, because we, we all kind of are participating in a world culture right now. And, um, you know, and we're also participating in local culture and, and family culture and group cultures, whether it's at work or in our friends. And, the question for me becomes like, we have this aspiration of being a sustainable world, right? We have this wish to um, use our resources wisely, to be fair, to be just, um, to make sure that everybody has their needs met. And that, uh, you know, and many people think of that as like overly idealistic, but actually all it is, is it's, it's our aspiration. And the question becomes, what is our reality today? And what is our vision for tomorrow? And how do we close that gap? And what are those steps in between to get there? Mm. So when this topic came up, I was like, yeah, this is part of our current reality. It's true. Um, You know, particularly in I'm thinking of some places like in Latin America, where being kind of the masculine macho personality is like really normal in that culture and some of those cultures. And um, and there are like kind of leaders that are really owning that and you know if you will like using the using it kind of against their people right they're not really mm-hmm. taking care of their people and they're not really taking care of their environment um and that is true right like we we can't ignore it so, like so i think is a great discussion to have right now and to think about and and understand better because then it will help us say that's reality and we want to change it and so um it'll start to get us into that more practical and realistic mode of mm. problem solving around it instead of kind of ignoring that it exists and then like trying to like compensate right over and over or, or do things that are fighting against the actual current culture. Mm. Yeah. And that's why I, I was very curious that uh, when you mentioned it, I thought, Oh, okay, this, this hasn't gone away clearly. You know, <laughs> this is no. still happening. No. So yeah. Where I find, um, I mean, we can really start this conversation like from so many directions, mm. and oh yeah, uh, like 
Maybe one thing that I can throw in here is this idea, like you were saying in the 80s, like maybe we were starting to separate, tease out, right, the these differences of masculine and feminine and and what that all means. And um, yeah, now that you mention it, like I'm, uh, this was, I guess, late 80s or early 90s where, you know, Madonna, she was like a big icon when I was growing up. And, you know, she would, she'd really like push those borders a lot, right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, with her dress, uh, clothes mm-hmm. and her, you know, kind of female power stuff. And um, and I think the what I've come to kind of over my lifetime and um, the way I use these concepts today um, is to really acknowledge that, you know, masculine and feminine work together in harmony. And, um, you know, it's like this yin and yang concept, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really... We have, everybody has it both in, in us, right? We, every person has both in you. And from that perspective, it's a question, in my opinion, of like, how do you um, utilize those um, energies intentionally to uh, bring about change or to, to, to just be sometimes? So I wanted to put out there, like, what I'm hearing um as what masculine and feminine are and kind of mm-hmm. and, and share that a little bit and how that's helped me kind of choose intentionally the way that I work, whether it's with people, whether it's with, um, uh, you know, my, in, within my relationship, even with, in relating to my daughter or even how I think about the construct of ecological behavior. Okay. So, just as a foundational piece, like masculine energies um, can be seen as, for example, logical, being very focused, structured, driven, goal-oriented, moving outward, action-oriented, being assertive, having discipline and direction. Okay, so those are some of the words that I would associate with the masculine energies. And the feminine, on the other hand, is more receptive, empathetic, nurturing, focused on flow, even stillness, um, creativity, being inward, and understanding. So maybe that's a little helpful and just to kind of demonstrate those energetic differences. And that, for me, becomes kind of a framework that I can use when I'm interacting with someone and thinking, What's needed right now for being constructive together, right? So, mm. so that's how I think about it. Now, let's mm. apply that a little and, more and also, to... And also being, being clear that that doesn't mean that a woman is that and a man is that, that, that exactly. there's a separation. Yes, and that's like where it became really clear to me that like gender has pretty much nothing to do with this, you know, like, okay, so I was gifted the opportunity to be on this earth in a female body and, you know, and I have, uh, you know, all the, you know, female organs and what have you. And okay, that's like, that's where I am. And, um, I accept that and, uh, and, and work with that. Right. And, um, and so that is kind of, you know, I think just to get us all oriented, like we are, obviously gender and kind of masculine and feminine is part of our reality. It's part of the things that we are involved in and accepted and and need to accept essentially about the situation, the current situation today. 
So if being ecological is perceived as not being macho and not being masculine, I'm saying if because I don't mm, necessarily mm, mm. think it is, but if it is in, in a lot of places and in a lot of societies, so then what, how, do, how do we work with that? And I think the first thing I like to do is question if, if it's really true. Mm-hmm. What do you see there? Like, is, is, is ecological feminine? Mm. Is it not macho? Is it not masculine, right? Um, well, I don't know if we know what it is. Yeah. It's a, a construct in a sense. And we talk about it in very different ways, in de- very different cultures and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the branding of it, that's a different question, right? Yeah, good point. And this, I think, is where the... Uh, you know, you mentioned Madonna, and mm-hmm. I was quite interested that you mentioned that because she was quite central to a lot of the feminist debates in the 80s around semiotics and mm-hmm. um, and uh, representation of gender in the media, and there was a lot of analysis at the time around that, and Madonna was very central to that because of the way she was bending definitions and um mm-hmm. and constantly changing as well and mm-hmm. even i even discovered actually an article that was deconstructing well using using a semiotic approach looking at advertising um in french media i think it was it's actually mm. called brand narrative sustainability mm-hmm. and gender a socio-semiotic nice. approach and the reason wow. i like that is because i think advertising is really this a great way of of looking at um, how we talk about these things because advertising really is very powerful mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people take their cues from from advertising, you know, For what sure. the sea change is going to be, what the zeitgeist might be, all of that sort of thing. A lot of it comes out of advertising. So um, mm-hmm. when you talk about is it true that, uh, that sustainability is feminine or feminized or mm-hmm. so on and so forth i think i think yeah it's it's very complex i don't think there's a one answer to that because mm-hmm. um because the advertising and influence of media mm-hmm. has shifted a lot in the last few years i think with social media mm-hmm. so it's <laughs> it's a bit like how long is a piece of string question <laughs> That is a great question. I mean, it is very hard to make data around this. That's the other thing, right? Good point, yeah. Um, um, But the research was explaining sustainable discourses in advertising from 2007 to 2012. So at that time, it's actually quite a different time than it is now, which is why I say that, you know, the the, the ball game has almost changed now Mm -hmm. with with social media and influences on Instagram and la-di-la. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't well, have any answers there, clearly. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it's great. I mean, we don't, what I realized in this is that it boils down, you know, my experience of environmentalism and ecological behavior and all of the things around um, being green conscious, if you will, and sustainability is... Um, 
it, it, I think it boils down to our personal experiences. And so my, per, I'll just illustrate my personal experiences on this topic have been that most of these conversations that I have encountered have been led by men or been with men first. Oh, um, cons- yeah. Sustainability consultants, um, uh, you know, conversations at Google back in the day in 2008, when I was part of the green groups and, you know, we were doing internal activism there. Um, that was all led by Urs Hutzler, who was, uh, you know, he was the kind of internal corporate sponsor, um, who was a Swiss guy, but, you know, worked in the headquarters. And uh, the mission, if you will, that kind of came out of his department, um, the SRE department. And um, it was all, yeah, thoughtful, data-driven. And you look at, like, the science behind this, it's all very data-driven. It's very um, academic and um, yeah, and so my most of my interactions thus far, well, it's changing now, but have been around, you know, have been with men or on topics that are masculine or, or if you will, having those masculine energies. Again, logic, right. structure, yep. action, assertion, discipline, research, yeah. right? And, and then you yeah. can equally have sustainability discussions that are in a completely different direction. Yes, exactly. With so different energies. Exactly. And yet um, that's not the where it stays, right? So what really interests me also is, you know, being in like having this like HR recruitment background and um, observing kind of how the workplace, um, sorry, how the market, the marketplace for jobs works. Um, you look at these roles that are coming onto the market and there's more and more sustainability consultant or internal sustainability manager, director roles yes. popping up all the time. And, um, you know, who's who tends to get those roles? Well, women. Right. Or who tends to be the working hands, um, you know, within the sustainability consultancies? Mm-hmm. Women. So I was just like, oh, my God, I kind of got tingles the other day because I realized, like, this feels a lot like the computer, um, the the kind of IT technology wave when, you know, there was all of this development going on and, and um, work that, that was happening. But, you know, it was kind of, if you will, on the surface led by men. Mm. But underneath, there were, like, all these brilliant female computer scientists that, like, were now learning more about today and like, you know, getting our inspiration from and like, you know, all hands were on deck, right? When like all of that development and kind of the early days of computers were being developed. And yet the recognition, or if you will, or like kind of the the talking heads were usually male, Mm -hmm. Um, but it didn't mean that it was exclusively a male industry, right? And I think the same thing, um, well, not necessarily, it's not a perfect parallel, but it's it's in, interesting to look at like what does the sustainability industry have in terms of genders distribution, mm. and I don't have any stats on hand, but you know just my personal experience is that there's a definite mix, and there are um, luckily more and more women I think driving things and involved in these things, and again not trying to like overly focus on gender, but just to point out that it is you know, important that we use both energies, masculine and feminine, to attack and, and solve this problem, right? To, um, and even using the word attack was very masculine of me, right? Um, to to acknowledge and co-create and deliver solutions for this problem, mm. right? So, mm. 
just yeah like these are the things that I look at and get fascinated about Mm. and you know kind of um having conversations with people to ensure that you know we're essentially you know for me the ultimate reaction or the ultimate purpose of acknowledging all of this and accepting it as reality and and knowing how to move forward is that that we're all um being real and we're working within the constructs of reality so that we can move forward that we're taking real steps together and that collaboration and cooperation between these two energies masculine and feminine is really important you know it's important in every discipline but it's Mm. it's very very um, important in this discipline as well Mm. yeah and (laughs) it's interesting that a couple of the highest profile climate campaigners in the world today are Mm -hmm. Greta Thunberg and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the ones that are really shouting them down are often older conservative men Mm -hmm. and I hadn't really thought about it in those terms until I saw this this Guardian article about that the the gender Uh gap the eco gender gap and why saving the planet is seen as women's work and and maybe that's Mm -hmm. the type of thing that, that the the bloke in your unconference was mm-hmm. was thinking about at the time because there does seem to be this kind of concept of the the older conservative white man embodying a certain way of being in the world and mm-hmm. um what <laughs> i found this great term called petromasculinity ooh ooh <laughs> it's a beauty that oil and Intense. gas is manly and it's because it's being branded that way. Um, wow. Yeah. But, but the, it, this was in a, um, a, a, a journal with an article by this Cara Daggett called Petro Masculinity, Fossil Fuels and author- Authoritarian Desire. Wow. <laughs> that, that's Ooh, worth a read. I want to read one. that one. Please concept, put that in the show notes. Yeah. The concept of pet- Petro Masculinity suggests that Fossil fuels mean more than profit. Fossil fuels also contribute to making identities, which poses risks for post-carbon energy politics. Moreover, through a psychopolitical reading of authoritarianism, I show how fossil fuel use can function as a violent compensatory practice in reaction to gender and climate trouble. (gasps) Wow. And she quotes this term called climate fascism. A, wow. a politics based on exclusion, segregation, and repression, which is uh-huh. an idea that came from a guy called Christian Parenti. Fascinating. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in there that it's uh, you know when we're we're in a kind of a if we want to kind of try to quantify and come up with <clears throat> clear definitions of what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. you can dive down all these amazing rabbit holes to try and mm-hmm. think about you know, what this term means and that term means and, a se- you know, sort of semiotic readings of um, of what's going on. Um, and I find it all extremely fascinating. However, these days I find it much less fascinating than um, than I did when I was doing women's studies, for example, oh, yeah. back in, in the 90s, uh, because I keep coming up against this, well, okay, that's great. I understand that's great. What are we doing? What's the next step? You know, because I think that that, that's that masculine energy coming out in me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because I'm feeling an urgency to to act. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to understand, and um, I, I, I often come back to this idea of being able to hold two things in your head. You know, to be to be yes. able to take this time to sit with things and um, be uncomfortable and. Um, learn and be curious and just observe observe and 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 um integrate a lot mm-hmm. of these ideas and understandings as best we can and remain open because mm-hmm. we have only such a limited way of of being able to see the world in a sense um mm-hmm. and there's much more than what we see i think going on mm-hmm. so and on the other hand to act yeah So, because it's critical now that we do act. Exactly. So, Livy, you said brought, I mean, this petro-masculinity and this kind of, um, the wounding that occurs or the the violence, I guess, that I heard in there also around using, you know, fossil fuels as like some way to like lash back or, you know, keep repress or keep people down. Um, Yeah, this... Um, something I want to point out here in with, with regards to these masculine and feminine energies, again, that we're kind of constantly choosing to apply and use at any given moment, right? We're, we're Because it's all in us. So like we can pick and choose them and whether it's intentional or not, that, you know, depends on your awareness. But like when it comes to both of these energies, they also have a wounded side, Okay. Mm-hmm. And that wounded side is like for the masculine, it's like aggression, control, avoidance, criticism. Like those things are also in us, right? And they're also, um, that's what I was hearing, like in that petro masculinity, that yeah. if you go to the wounded side, like you can use that as a weapon, right? You can use yeah. fossil fuels as a weapon, right? Um, on the feminine side, too, we have that wounded aspect and these are just a few of the words but i'll throw them out there codependency uh being a victim yeah manipulation or even withholding where do these terms come from is this yeah so this is uh, available online if you do an internet search for wounded masculine or wounded feminine energies you will find a bunch of tables and images and kind of lots and lots of content there um and by the way they don't always match up so like you can just make your own decision about like what resonates with you Mm. um but i was clued into that originally by an old friend of mine from Seattle, who's named Heather Allison, and she's a, a female coach. She's a, a coach for entrepreneurs, and um, but specifically for women. And um, she kind of does this, if you will, soul work or transformation work. And I just, you know, after many years of um, following her on Facebook, I finally kind of subscribed to one of her um her freebies and you know, did a class with her and just found that this language was a really useful way for me to expand my awareness of language and mm. the associations of energy and emotion that come along with those language, those words, um, so that I could really unpack for myself what am I 
actively mm. choosing and what is happening if I feel myself thrown into some of those spaces um, and triggered, actually. So it's just, I found it really fascinating and useful and highly, highly recommend just being aware and thinking through for your own self. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's really interesting and it's important to not get caught in the, the duality of it, right? Yes. Because then we're sort of back in that Cartesian this or that. Yeah. When, in fact, there are elements of everything mm-hmm. or elements of, I mean, I say both, but it's really, it's really more than both, isn't it? It is. I mean, the, the reason why I want to point that out is really to, you know, demonstrate that, like, we're... Um, we've got choices in this. So, you know, we've, we've got choices to, you know, if you will, brand and use language that makes being environmental a feminine thing, right? Or like a a women's work or whatever, right? Like, or, or you could, you know, depending on how you talk about it and how you convey it and how you, you know, look at the numbers or you explore the, perspective right you can also see it as very masculine you can see it as uh, very data-driven very um structured very methodical um really uh kind of manly to care about Mm. like the space right like to your territory and like i want this territory to be safe and i want and i'm going to do everything i can to make it Um, healthy right so like for me it's really just a matter of perspective Mm -hmm. like are you how are you personally perceiving this and um, is that the way that you're communicating about it Um, and if you perceive it as if you perceive petrol or fossil fuels as like a weapon, then you're going to talk about it that way, right? You're going to get angry about it. You're going to see that people are using it as abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, in some cases, it is, you know, and and it's like, okay, so I think it comes down to like what you are doing, how you're using it and how you're accepting it, and then how you implement and and move forward, how you act, right? Mm. Um, And I would just invite everybody to focus on the the honorable version of it, the masculine and feminine, and to really just opt out of the wounded side of it and mm-hmm. say, I'm not going to use those wounded expressions, those wounded energies, and I'm going to do, I'm going to attempt to remain in the, um, the honorable side most of the time, and that's the action I'm going to take. And, um, and then you'll, you can start to recognize when it's being used in those wounded ways and yeah which is not to sweep it under the carpet it's to acknowledge it and yes and and to know what you're dealing with yes and to be yeah cognizant of what it what it is and where it stands and whether whether that's the wolf to be fed or if it's the not the wolf to be fed (laughs) (laughs) like that where'd that come from oh that's that's the um which wolf which wolf do you feed there's a there's an old folk tale i think or I'm not sure where it comes from. It might be an indigenous American thing. Oh. I'm not sure. I could look it up and put a link in the show notes. But the idea, the idea being, um, the more you, the more attention you pay, or the the whichever wolf you feed is the one that's going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and when it that. comes to our lives, that's yeah, where attention goes, energy flows. That mm-hmm. that idea. 
Mm-hmm. That's I love that. Yeah. So yeah. So here we are. Like again, not having tons of answers on this one, but you know, <laughs> macho, macho or not, um, you know, I think you know, depending on how you perceive what macho is, macho could be a bit in the direction of the wounded masculine, right? Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. if you feel like if if you feel like in your culture and around you men have to be macho in order to be perceived as masculine, then you might be seeing there um, a bit of a, you know, a cultural uh, overlay that is um, making it not possible to progress as quickly as you'd like, you know, in environmentalism and, and thinking ecologically and changing the mindset, because that's perhaps, um, you know, people aren't quite aware of that. And so they're, they're, they're subscribing to, as you said, Libby, that like model of like what a white man should do or what a macho man should do. Mm. And that's in contrast with caring for your environment, you know, being thoughtful about how you're using um, this beautiful world that we have, right. And using resources and how you're operating and conducting your language and your behavior across and, and in relation with other people. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, are we, are we unlocking this a little bit? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just torn between this, this kind of. I feel like the debate is in such a different place than it mm. was even two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just a feeling just because of the the way the world has changed and we're suddenly seeing a lot of men in the media who are nurses and doctors and mm-hmm. step really stepping into these traditionally caring roles mm-hmm. and i think even i think this is part of a huge sea change around this you know and not only that but the amount of you know lgbtq trans discussions going on whichever side of of or part of the spectrum of discussion you fall into or prefer to mm-hmm. believe in or whatever it's 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 being discussed okay. so i think i think the the frame is broadening um and i think rightly so because nature offers a very broad beautiful mix of you know it's it's just diversity and you and mm-hmm. i were talking talking about the the diversity thing a couple of days ago, weren't we? Yeah. And whether it's being taken into consideration in sustainability discussions. And yeah. I think this is, this is a prime example of that, actually. This, um, this male, female, masculine, feminine, sex, gender, mm-hmm. all of this is, is, is part of that. So, For sure, yeah. So I think, it, yes, maybe we, maybe we are making some kind of dent in blowing it open or however you want to mm-hmm. talk about it, uncovering gently or. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. And we start to notice these words, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> actually there was an article that I read about. It might've actually been in that one I mentioned. It was how, yeah, it was in that one about how feminist thought helps interpret major issues within sustainable communication. Mm. And, and I think a lot of the issues that were being discussed in women's studies back in back in the day, before it became cultural studies, before it, I don't even know mm-hmm. where it is now in 
academia. A lot of that is being utilised in mainstream uh, discussion, yeah. I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. That's good, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, this is, it's good. Like, I do, yeah, agree with you and, you know, support that point about, like, diversity having become part of the corporate conversation, part of the global conversation, part of our cultural conversation, that's super critical. It's such a prerequisite to getting our environmentalism on the right path, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like honoring and respecting every little piece of everything and everybody, Mm. right? Mm. And like that to me is what diversity is. And that will in my opinion, deliver us on in the right mindset to this work um, that uh, slowing down and recognizing and appreciating and honoring each other and all the organisms that are dependent on this earth um, gives us that new, you know, kind of lens that those new glasses to put on to, okay, so, so now what, right? So now how do we move forward together? Mm. Um, and and actually, I, I was listening to a really interesting podcast um, with uh, there was a discussion actually around the precisely this idea of humans being uh, a part of nature and here mm-hmm. by design, you know, not not that we're an accident, that oh. in fact, we're here for the betterment of mm. the ecosystems and for the betterment of of nature and everything that's in it i just Amazing. can't remember who i think it was a guy called al noah al lada oh nice um talking with charles eisenstein i love that yeah i i, I wouldn't be able to find the bit i'm sure because it was in a, a very long podcast but but um just this concept of again the the wolf that you feed in a sense when we shift our perspective to be that that we um i forget the example that he used but it was it was something to do with how plants do better when there are humans around wow yeah it was really interesting i hadn't you're right i hadn't come across that before like not that i could remember anyway Interesting. So there's like an a, an interaction going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've certainly read articles before that are like, you know, when you're taking care of your house plants, talk to them. You know. Yeah, <laughs> so I think that's it was, where that it was comes more, from. It was more coming from the the Amazon rainforest, oh, actually. Wow. I think, and how looking to this um, the way these tribes evolved mm-hmm. as a part of the forest, so to speak. And mm. how something, you know, like we think of it as two systems, like the forest yeah. and the people, but actually it's not like that. It's much more when when things are intermeshed and working together, yeah. then, then everyone thro- th- thrives, thrives and flourishes more than if they're individually kind of siloed into humans and nature. Yeah, like in a zoo so, or something, right? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm not really, it's not especially part of the, this kind of masculine feminine debate other than the fact that I'm just thinking about if we think if we're thinking about it maybe yeah holistic terms or yeah or just just 
diversity, biodiversity yeah. and all of that discussion that we were starting to talk about. And maybe we need to have an episode on biodiversity because we then, we then went and looked at the sustainable development goals, didn't we? You've, and, we did, yeah. And we noticed that gender equality is number five. Mm-hmm. Women and girls' empowerment is essential to expand economic growth and promote social development, um, which automatically places females, women within mm-hmm. the sustainable debate because it's right up front and center there in the sustainable development goals. Yeah. So that might be just that a piece of that um, yeah. is sustainability a feminized thing. Well, maybe it is because it's right there. It's not intentionally saying that that's sure. part of it. But, but we were trying to kind of look at them in terms of, of diversity, um, biodiversity and mm-hmm. just to sort of see how that fit in and, I think yeah, it was in and the what's light the of representation. A, was, it, was it the uh, University of Queensland that had the article about biodiversity and whether we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we're not keeping it in mind in within the sustainable development goals? Yeah, like exactly. That? And it was interesting. We both came to that article separately and then talked about it. Yeah. And yeah, that one, it was a really good kind of like nudge for me to relook and say, oh, yeah, is this something we're factoring in mm. at all times, right? And mm. and what I think I was telling you, too, is that um, I have a very strong bias towards diversity, and uh, it's part of my strengths finder strengths, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I have, it's kind of almost like a blind spot. It's like, I don't realize that other people don't prioritize diversity, <laughs> Uh-huh. Right. Sometimes. Uh-huh. And and so and diversity to me, like when I read that women's, uh, you know, women empowerment in in the SDGs, I read that as diversity. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I have that really mm-hmm. strong connection there. So but you're right. Like it's not you know, we were looking at the SDGs and looking at that article and observing that maybe biodiversity as a word is not present in those SDGs. Mm-hmm. And is that. Um, something that was accidentally left out, right? Well, maybe not accidentally because I, it it takes a certain cognizant, uh, cultural and cognizance of of the concept and understanding of it in order for mm-hmm. it to be able to be included. And I think we talked about about this how awareness of exactly what it means and where it fits in and mm-hmm. so on before it enters the lexicon. Yeah, and so Very maybe it will at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And right now, yeah, you look across the development goals, sustainable development goals, and and to me, I also have that affiliation with. I grew, you know, I grew up in different yeah. countries, and I lived in Malaysia for some time, and mm-hmm. um, and I I did women's studies, and you know, it's mm-hmm. for me. I think I possibly do have that that blind spot as well, and um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's great that we're, you know, we bring it up and, you know, for our listeners to also think about that, you know, where is, where does diversity slash um, female empowerment slash biodiversity, like, where does that sit in your consciousness, right? And um, is that something you just take as a given and like you just do everything kind of with that in your compass already in your internal compass and like you prioritize it or is it Mm. something that's maybe being left out a little bit and can you fold it in and can give yourself a reminder to be like let's consider diversity let's consider biodiversity let's consider female the the female energy right or the female attributes as important Mm. in here 
mm. as well, right? In, in integrate it a bit more um, if it's not present. And, and on the other hand, also to, you know, kind of look at what is your culture that you're living in every day that you're um, working within, that your family is within, that your country's within, and your, you know, what is your perspective? And is that something that um, where masculine factors, attributes, or machoism or feminism plays a role? And if so, how? And how do you um, acknowledge and accept and understand mm -hmm. it so that you can become even more impactful with the way that you approach talking with people um, and, and sharing your thoughts and your wishes, you know, for changing behavior or, or changing the direction that we're going so that it, be, it becomes more sustainable. Mm. And that, that'll play into, you know, I know we have on the list anyway to do um, a podcast on the topic of influencing. And so I'd love to kind of bring this back when we come mm. back to that topic because um, culture plays such a critical role in influencing and communications yeah. as well. And so, yeah, I think that we, you know, it won't be the last time that we're touching on gender and um, these masculine feminine energies to have, you know, equip yourself with the ways of, of having constructive conversations and making construction yeah. constructive actions and thanks for putting those kind of reflection questions in there too because i think i think now uh you know following the me too thing and um yeah all of the upheavals that we've just discussed as soon as you use the word feminist or gender or you know it can be really yeah. inflammatory like i think people just sure. don't often even know where to start with mm -hmm. that stuff so bringing it down to something you know concrete like that is is really helpful absolutely there's one other thing that i want to share today which is this really cool story um about how masculinity and um, not necessarily machoism, but uh, masculinity played a role in conservation efforts. And um, I thought it would be really kind of cool for today's episode. So unless we have other things to chat about, I can kind of launch into that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, the only other thing I was going to quickly chuck in there was just this, yeah. this idea of um, the historical perspective, how consumption has been associated with women in the private sphere. Uh, yeah, of course. While production is associated with men in the public sphere. And, th and that's, so not, true. that's not like a bunch of BS. That's actually like the way a lot of Western yeah. societies were. And, and indeed, it says in this um, uh, article, it is women who are responsible for 80% of the consumption decisions in households. Mm. and represent the largest group of consumers shopping for the daily needs of their families. Now, that was an old-ish article, mm -hmm. maybe up to 10 years old, I think, but mm -hmm. that doesn't discount the fact that historically that's the case. And also that in consumers' minds, the feminine has been associated with green products. Really? Yeah. Mm. Let me just find the... Uh, that was 2016 that there was an mm -hmm. article published is eco-friendly unmanly mm -hmm. the green green feminine stereotype and its effect on con sustainable consumption whereas prior research attributes the gender gap to sustain in sustainable consumption to personality differences between the sexes we propose it may also partially stem 
from a prevalent association between green behaviour and femininity and a corresponding stereotype held by both men and women that green mm-hmm. consumers are more feminine. And that a se- wow. series of seven studies provides evidence that the yeah. concepts of greenness and femininity are cognitively linked. Really? Show- yes. Cognitively linked? Mm. Yes. It shows that accordingly, yeah, consumers who engage in green behaviours are stereotyped by others. Anyway, as I said, this is 2016 and even yeah. the last two years, things have changed. If everyone's in lockdown, maybe yeah. the dude is sitting there with his manly laptop yeah. doing the shopping. Who knows? Yes, of course. Oh, I mean, uh, I just have to point out that my own husband has been the lead on anything in the kitchen since mm-hmm. the lockdown. Um, partially because he likes eating and he wants to be on top of that Uh (laughs) and he didn't get to go to the office and, you know, eat lunch there. So, you know, it was like, no, no, he's, he he got very invested very quickly in that Mm -hmm. topic. Yeah. Whereas it used to be only kind of my thing to do, you know, I can't wait Um, for studies to come out, you know, like to, to just see what, what people's behavior, what has changed. Because we, we, you know, we're all anecdotal right now, but yeah. you know, there must be some really fascinating stuff going on Yeah, and, in and the gender like, department. For sure. But even before the studies come out, like, just look at your own life and just say, hey, what's going on here? You know, and mm, how do I work mm. with this? You know, and, and because ultimately that's what life boils down to anyway. Yeah. Even if we have a bunch of data to support our assumptions and our concepts, like, really you know action on the ground is what is going to change this situation for us all (laughs) right so like it doesn't really matter what that study says like the point is is what's going on in your household and how can you influence it towards better decisions better purchases healthier Mm. purchases um you know less purchases perhaps um you know choosing things very intentionally because you know you maybe you can speak with your partner more quickly and you don't have, you know, if he or she is part of your decision-making process, um, you can have that discussion more rapidly and just move through it. Or for Mm -hmm. that matter, maybe you can just take over domains and you can like share each other, you know, your philosophy with each other and trust each other to like make those decisions. So long as you have also had that discussion, like, Mm -hmm. is this a good product for us, for our family, for our health, for our sustainability? And, you know, if you've done that analysis, right? So, yeah. So I'm like all for just, again, dealing with the reality that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you need studies and you need data to convince your partner, that's a totally different topic. And like direct message me and I will equip you with what you need for that conversation. (laughs) But like, you know, it, it doesn't have to hold us back, right? No, it doesn't. I'm a big, uh, yeah. But mm. I love them, obviously. I love studies and science and mm. research. All right, so and... tell us your anecdote then. Yes, okay. So, yeah, I'd love to close with a, um, a story that I heard from uh, a culture strategist peer. Her name is Aga Bajer. And we met last year at a conference in, um, I think, it, in Sangalan. And we were both speaking and, um, you know, had our own kind of wisdom that we were sharing with our audiences. And I sat and listened to her talk and was just blown away by this beautiful 
um, description of how culture plays a role in conservation, okay? And so I hope I do her justice. Um, you can always go to her website and her, her own personal blog to learn more about this and read the full story, and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, so anyway, but she uses a story of uh, from a group called the Lion Guardians, and essentially it was uh, a tradition in the Maasai that there, the young men who were, um, you know, kind of becoming men, so they, the young boys, when they would go through the ritual of becoming men, the original ritual there was to hunt and kill a lion. Okay, and so the the lion population has been dwindling. It was something like 200,000, and now it's down to 20,000. And this is like really, you know, kind of stressful and disturbing for the, the lion conservationists. And they're like, well, you know, this is becoming an extinct species. We need to do something about this. And so they were in this phase of like, how do we influence these people whose, um, you know, important cultural shift is part of killing the animal right and so they they observed and they watched and there was all sorts of i'm sure like really key awesome research that happened here but the nut in a nutshell um the there's a woman uh, her last name is Haza, and she realized that she couldn't reason is she trying to reason with the maasai to stop their lion hunts would have failed okay so this wasn't a logic a situation where logic was the solution okay mm. instead um you know their culture would absolutely take over i mean this is so embedded there was no sense in trying to make it an, an intellectual brain exercise okay Instead, she observed that and realized that lion hunting served as a, this important rite of passage, which was, you know, it was a purpose in their culture, and it had a very important purpose. And basically, it gave those warriors prestige and appreciation of their tribesmen. You know, those incentives were clearly built in. Mm. Um, and so instead, she focused her energy on demonstrating that they can get the same or even better results through different means, okay? So mm. they can retain their purpose and their incentives without actually killing the lion. <laughs> this, for me, is such a critical understanding of cultural influencing. When mm. you have something going on, like petromasculinity, mm-hmm. that is um, under an undercurrent in society and you're trying to logically reason with people like stop driving your car so much or stop buying that big big car or so you know when you're trying to use the intellect it can't always work the Mm -hmm. the logic doesn't always work why because it's embedded in our culture in so many layers and there's Mm. very important and helpful and and value-based reasons why we're doing that stuff yeah so the question is, how do you get around that? How do you change that? How do you still, how do you retain the value and those benefits that the people are receiving, right? The Maasai warriors are receiving a benefit by mm. taking that action. How do you retain that, but still get a better result and still not mm. have the lion die and still not have the petrol being used, right? Mm, mm. How do you do that? So she worked, this woman has worked patiently with the Maasai, helping them to develop new cultural beliefs and to rewrite their cultural narrative that a glorified warrior would, instead of killing a lion, would instead demonstrate his bravery to protect his family, to protect his herd, to protect his, um, you know, the, the people in the village by instead, um, basically, they would um, trap 
and tag the lions mm. so that they could then track the lions. Okay? So yeah. they still had the, the elements of danger. They still had the elements of, of uh, bravery. They still displayed those really important rites of passage that are needed mm-hmm. because they were still around the lion. They were still doing something, interacting with it and so on. The difference was that they didn't kill it. They rather tagged it. Then they were able to track it. So these using these trackable, I can't remember the name of the machine, but anyway, there's some sort of tracking machine they would use. And the Maasai um, were taught how to use this tracker. They then mm-hmm. had the lions. They knew where the lions were. And yeah. so they could keep track of them instead of yeah. fearing them, right? Yeah. They knew that if they were coming near, if they would need to go out and do some distraction, if they would, you know, they, they could deal with the situation. They could still retain the the safety of their village and their herds yeah. with this new method. And so clever. that is like where I want us to focus our, um, our ingenuity as amazing human people, beings mm. who can be creative and thoughtful mm. and Focus that way, right? Focus, find the, that root cause, that root behavior that is problematic. Discover what needs to be retained from that. And let's change the rest of it instead of, of coming up with the negative result every time. Well, fantastic, fantastic example, isn't it? Isn't it awesome? Yeah, so I just encourage everybody to go read this. And, and Aga's work is excellent, too, being a fellow culture strategist. She's lovely. She, I've met her in person. Um, this is how we can move forward, in my opinion, very swiftly, very strategically. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't need to color this all up with masculine, feminine, macho, you know, whatever, right? Mm. We need to be aware and, and work with it, though. Mm. Yeah, acknowledge and be be uh, mindful of the imbalance and mm-hmm. and uh, take some steps. Yeah, and we totally can do that. I mm. believe in our creativity, right? Yeah. So thanks to everybody for listening. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Links are in the show notes. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with your family and friends. We can all do this sustainable life thing together. And don't forget, we have a mailbag and would love to hear from you. Let us know what your challenges are and what's been helpful. Email us at sustainablemailbag at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.